what's going on david just coming back from the holidays could have had better weather but these things happen it's great now looking forward to a really exciting 2023 yeah for sure and we were just talking about ai what an amazing topic this is going to be one of the big growth fields here as well that's like it was open ai that you're talking open to me AI. About? i mean you you've got to check this out like there are videos on youtube right now looking at people writing songs using open ai and using specific artists voice just like on the spot could be a bit dangerous could do some uh, sort of deep fakes on the phone calls yeah, and things like that. it's all coming and you know all the assignments they have to double check whether or not it's you know done through open ai now because you, you'll write all already your... been having problems with yeah, that yeah. they're just gonna have to change the way that they they do exactly. things aren't they guys today we have second episode of leverage addicts and if you guys don't know david david is an expert investor um, and have done a lot in the community you know you were in the property investor group uh sorry what's that property investor yeah, association Property Investor association president for yeah four years and on the board for yeah a decade yeah and he's been on the youtube channel before um and he's written his own book is actually on our shelf and today we actually want to talk about capital raising and not capital raising for ma massive projects but capital raising for just the next investment property a lot of uh, even first home buyers sometimes because a lot of young couples what they sort of you know stuck with the challenge of hey i don't have enough deposit and i don't oh, i gotta do it by myself i don't really want to ask my mom and dad or maybe they feel like I've asked my mum and dad, but they won't give it to me. You know, what are one of what are some ways they could do it? And so what are your thoughts on on you know asking for mum and dad for for a deposit anyway? Great topic, Blendon. The start, it's always the hardest. I yeah, really, really found it yeah, extremely hard. The first sort of seven thousand dollars was far harder to raise than the next seven thousand. And and it's the same with uh, getting a deposit for a property where is the house going to be how much do you need it's all a bit scary putting it together sometimes and you absolutely need to get some expert advisors which is where the, the teams at mortgage hq and wealth hq i think do, do a fantastic job how do you actually fundraise to buy your first home or investment property really important to do it so one of the key steps there is a sort of i guess is a life goal and and, uh, and and wealth goal to do it so how are you going to do that well for so many people buying in big cities like auckland it's just not quite enough money to get it together. The bank criteria, it might not be uh, quite as easy as well. So how do we get the money together? So sometimes we're going to have to get some friends and family to do it. But what is it? Is it a gift? Is it a loan or what? How how do we actually do this? So there are many ways of actually doing it there, but um, I absolutely sympathize there. And it, I think it's a really, really important first step uh, to, to do it for so many. And, and I think this is a pretty crucial for the leverage addicts to, to get stuck into because <laughs> sometimes sometimes um i think the first debate that you have to overcome is like well should i do it is it right am i cheating if i ask for some money because some people do get handouts right some people like and it just makes it an unfair game and then if you yeah. go on tiktok you've got a whole bunch of um you, you basically divide the the crowd it's like hey you know you're cheating oh yeah. You're so lucky that you got parents. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. I didn't have that handout. would have been nice, but um, it, it didn't need it. For, for so many people, they, uh, they they might feel proud and not want to do it. But 
if that's actually holding them back, holding them back from getting their own home and the feelings of security that they might get from that, or alternatively holding them back from building wealth through an investment property and over time streams of cash flow, as well as uh, growing that equity, perhaps um, it's better to be open and upfront about and say, hey, I need a bit of help. Many parents, uh, sometimes grandparents even as well as they, they uh, live longer, they actually want to help. And yeah. in some times I've also heard that they are offended if they're not asked when you needed a little bit of help there. They make assumptions because you dress nicely there that everything's okay. But to them, it's a great gift to be able to give to uh, future generations there. Yeah, and, and I think maybe uh, often we approach it the wrong way as well because sometimes the, the first thing is, I think is not asking for a gift or a handout. That's not how we should think about it. We should think about it as a win-win scenario. Yeah, and it could when, be a loan, for example. Yeah. So potentially it can get written down rather than being an absolute gift, writing it down as a loan. There's nothing wrong with being commercial, being professional about it. And sometimes that's actually become really good to have because sometimes not all relationships are managed to last the distance, which is real shame there. But if it doesn't, there the um, last thing the parents want to do is give the uh, the spouse, particularly if it's a cheating spouse, fifty uh, percent of their money from that gift. So to avoid that, there can be a loan that's written down to acknowledge that, and that can be useful. Hey, when's it getting paid back? What interest rate, if any, is getting attached to it as well? How does it work? So. Those uh, that I think is a, a good way to actually do that. I think that's a nice balance there for some that are lucky enough to get a gift. That's that's absolutely fantastic. There, there are I, in rare cases, I uh, do do know of a couple of people that have had their uh, parents buy them a, a lovely home, and that that that's that that's great. But um, for so many uh, others, it's a more normal circumstance there. To it is becoming more normal to actually help out your kids quite frankly you have to in these big cities uh now and auckland's not the only place there that that uh, happens uh world over and um and other expensive and great cities to live in the likes of sydney and uh melbourne and um, uh, shanghai beijing guangzhou hong kong and the like so there's nothing to be afraid of it's a complete normal thing to do but potentially instead of having that as a gift and expecting hey here's my hand out there please uh, get me that uh, buddy it's hey, uh, would I be able to uh, get a loan from you? And actually asking that way is a lot nicer to do it. If they, your parents or grandparents may all say, well, I, could, um, I don't want to really want to loan you. The thought of setting you with more debt when you're getting a big loan, a bit too much for me. How about we, um, how about we do it as a gift? So I, I think that's a great way to, uh, to simulate. I think, simulate I think you're, you're definitely right because gifting is one of the easiest way to think about you know, getting a deposit. Second one is obviously a loan. Loan has got a fixed sort of income, fixed interest. But then once you go out the realm, because like what are the concerns for the parents? Sometimes they're like, oh, like I'm scared of getting more loans. You know, they don't want to give up that loan. Like some parents do think like that. But I think if we start thinking win-win in terms of JV, which is you're an expert, how, like how could we, how could a young couple think about capital raising as a JV with their parents. Absolutely. This is also a common model to, uh, increasingly more common model to do it because of the amounts of money that can sometimes be needed and sometimes they don't have the income to do it. So sometimes uh, parents there that are working sometimes at the top of their game may need to come on board as a guarantor as well. So if they're putting in equity in the guarantee too, 
well, uh, that might be that they are actually the dominant partners in this, but because it's their children, they want to help them out. So that can actually be structured as a joint venture. And you're right, I have done a number of joint ventures more on the uh, property development style, which, which is fantastic. That's a story for another day uh, that I'm excited to talk about. But uh, but on this uh, one, it's actually a really good way to, to be able to help get your children into uh, your home if uh, if you're able to uh, indeed do that. And as the child getting that some money from parents, a joint venture is a great way to do it. You can share in the uplift, share in the risk, have a bit of help with how do we get all the systems done in terms of the repairs and maintenance and the realities of home ownership. Uh, that's uh, that's one way of uh, doing it. Then it's just then just think about hey, when do we want this joint venture to end so we can't get kicked out of our own home there. Um, and just uh, sometimes getting some legal advice is important as well. Just what that's if the friendship breaks down? That, right? That's good. That's good because you you just mentioned a really important part because from the bank's perspective, a JV, especially if you go, hey, you know, kids, and then you buy a house with the parents, that's not a really good loan to do because, it's, you know, you've got aging parents. They don't often, and they've got their own debts. Maybe their income levels are coming down because they're working less hours so when they come into this loan um, application it's actually not much value in terms of for the servicing so often the bank don't want to do that loan where it's got the parents and the kids so legally how could we structure this is there like maybe company or trust that we could potentially do where maybe the parents are not actually guaranteeing but there's some sort of agreement on the side. Yep, ab- absolutely. So potentially owning that home in a trust might be the preferred way to do it. And, and then there, there could be a, a separate loan agreement uh, on that. And if it's sold, there could be a profit share attached to it. I need to let the audience know as well that you were an ex-lawyer before you became like I, a developer. I was, I, I, was <laughs> uh, I, I was a lawyer. I'd, I'd done, I previously had worked in, um, uh, in the tax division of uh, uh, Big Four uh, Accounting and Professional Consultancy Firm Deloitte and then at uh, leading law firm Russell McBay. But I've been out of that a very, very uh, long time to uh, enjoy uh, a couple of uh, booms and, uh, and downturns in the, in the property cycle. So uh, the, um, yes, I have a, a, bit more, a bit of a bush lawyer nowadays, but certainly able to do it and, um, and probably uh, overweight and friends that are, that are lawyers. <laughs> so happy to share some wisdom there, but there's no substitute when uh, doing the structure like this to actually seek some good uh, independent legal advice only because the risks of life do happen. What if um, your beloved son, daughters, uh, their um, relationship fails and you've got money in front of theirs? Well, that can add some complexities uh, to it as well. Sometimes relationships do break up and some relationships that break up sometimes are a little bit acrimonious and caveats get put on properties to tie money up as well. So it's not always a fun time. So we do have to be uh, cognizant that there could be some risk. So that's just something to think about. So would you say in a trust that a lot of these risks would be, you could mitigate it if with the right structure. Uh, some of the risks because the yeah the um, the trust will still keep going on and the trustees will be the legal owners of the property still. They um, uh, may will be the borrowers on it there. But that said, if it is say the uh, younger generation that, that uh, get the house in there, I don't know, late twenties, early thirties, whatever it is, then they um, and then they uh, split up a bit a bit later on. Uh, that's still going to be a bit messed up that structure and in many cases that need to restructure the trustee at one of them uh, out. 
who lives in the property because you can't be separated whilst living under the same roof and under New Zealand law. Of course, it's just that uh, uh, sometimes that's a bit hard, particularly if there's another partner involved um, that makes it a little bit uh, tricky. So what then has to happen to the property? Does one leave the relationship? Does, uh, is that property sold? There, so there can be some complexes. In many cases, those trusts are simply dissolved and there's a, and there's a um, splitting couple that's doing that there. But uh, in in uh, in many normal cases, there that are more straightforward, it can be a wonderful vehicle, Tatman, that can last for years and decades uh, to to come. And it, and the trust's a great coherent ownership vehicle there that doesn't die. It uh, it, it can merely be resettled uh, in 150 odd years time. So just thinking, like trying to expand on that. Okay, like the risk is like potential relationship issues. If you have a trust, could you actually have some sort of stipulation that's going to allow the parents to be looked after whatever happens in the future, like right from the get-go? Yep, yep. you can draft that as well if they're to do it and put in their capital to do it. Yep. If it's within the means of the trust fund, becomes a piece of the trust, then absolutely, then the trustees are, are bound to follow the the trustee, the, so that, uh, the obligations to provide for them, yes. So that's so, and the trust actually is quite flexible in terms of you know how you can promise a return um, for the initial capital introduced, um, also who gets paid if something goes Abs- wrong. Absolutely, that, that can be done. And, and if not done in the trustee, that would be done in the thing called a memorandum of guidance or a memorandum of wishes, they're the same thing. That's a good way. That's a, basically like a living will. It's a set of instructions about how you want the trust to work. And that, that I think, works quite well. It's basically uh, highly persuasive, not binding, but highly persuasive on the trustees to take the settlers' wishes into account. The settlers are the people that set up the trust. I might just wind it back there just uh, for the uh, benefit of the audience there that the trust has three parties to it. The uh, The first party is the settlor, the settlers. They're the personal persons that set up the trust and they give that to the second party who are the trustees. The trustees are the legal owners of the, uh, of the trust fund and they, in this case, would own the properties on trust for the third party, the beneficiaries. So settlor, trustees, beneficiaries. So those are the three parties to the uh, to the trust. And that, that's a common arrangement. I think there are over 400,000 trusts in New Zealand. Not bad for what have we got? 5.1 million people. So uh, there are a number of them there. And uh, many trusts do uh, own a, a family home, but increasing numbers own rental properties too. Now, I, I'm, I'll probably oversimplify a little bit, but like in a trust, could you say kind of like trustee is kind of like the director of a company absolutely the beneficiary are kind of like the shareholders of a company so like if we oversimplify it maybe that's somewhat the case yeah yeah. broadly similar yes absolutely trustees make the decision and uh, govern the uh, govern the trust fund like the directors would for the assets of the company and uh, just with a company companies are uh, more uh, intended to make a profit and to distribute that to their shareholders, whereas the uh, trusts often aren't intending to make profit, particularly if they're just owning an own home. Many uh, uh, people own in their family trust, they have their home and life insurance policies, Mm. for example, and Mm. that's it. So we've touched on the structure on perhaps raising capital, like, okay, well, you know, you don't have to just ask for a loan or a gift. You could ask for a some sort of joint venture agreement now yeah i guess the next thing we should expand on is like actually how are we creating value in a win-win situation for all parties like i mean let's just let's just think for an example let's just think 
a real case scenario, let's say we found this multi-unit sure. in Palmerston North, okay? Yeah. And it's got 11% yield, okay? Nice and yield. the young couple has got a strong servicing, so they can actually service um, 70%, eight, like even 100% of the debt, but they just don't have the deposit, okay? So they need 40%. $1 million deal, we're looking at uh, 110,000 of rental income coming in. Huge, yeah. Okay, maybe the the net in, the net yield um, before you pay the interest will be around say just example eight um, percent. Yep. So we've got eight percent net yield. So that means it will be paid for interest of six and a half. We still got like one 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 and a half percent left as dividend if we got hundred percent finance. So how could we structure this deal so that it's a win win situation for the parents? who if they lend them 400,000, they still have to pay 7% anyway to the bank because they take it out of their revolving credit. Ah, they got it from their revolving credit rather than equity right. funds as well. So that, so that, that's okay. And on, on a deal like that, is there uh, then enough cash flow to pay their revolving credit interest off over time? Yeah, well, I, the, I, so, so it, would, it would be on paper after social housing contract, cash flow positive deal okay so let's just say um because this is a typical deal that our client would do right a million dollar 10 11 percent there is still left over cash yeah. after you pay a hundred percent finance because yeah. it's got interest Abs- deductibility absolutely so say that they might have a um i don't know they could finance in a few ways they might do 35 40 percent uh uh is equity but that equity may well come from the largest part of their equity from a loan uh there which is obviously not equity from the from the parents and they can get paid their interest rate perhaps a bit of a margin on, on top of that uh, as well perfect um, and the that gives them some uh, upside to it otherwise it could just get paid and reimburse that the same amount give them a profit share or some hybrid arrangement but that is be a great way to do it I think so, so what you're great on that so what you're saying if I am maybe I just um, lack of a better word is dumb it down and what you're saying is you could potentially pay a higher interest rate than what the parents are, are, are getting that's one way another way you could say is like just pay them the interest but also give them sort of an upside which is maybe they own part of the part of the capital gains on that property absolutely there'd be a couple of ways of structuring that and to depend on if the parents are happy to do it uh, but um, I, i'm thinking that that deal would be lost because there's not enough deposit there to do it. They couldn't afford to get it, so it'd go to another person. So it's a great deal. Yeah. Huge cash flow. So to get that, assuming the cash flows will stay with everything, then um, then hey, go for it. But let's uh, make sure that, uh, that there's no problems, that uh, revolving credit presumably has interest payable every month. So let's make sure there's money there to, to cover that. Um, yep. If not, it could get self uh covered through the revolving credit balance by uh if there's not regular cash to come in there'd be enough uh, if make sure leave enough headroom in the facility to draw down the actual interest against it yeah but um instead of um uh, the instead of necessarily looking at it that way if there was enough headroom to do it and self-pay potentially it could get paid on eventual resale or alternatively in a, in a few years time get it revalued Refinance. and then you could get it refinanced to repay the money that the parents had put in and that could be paid at the same rate it could be paid at a higher rate that four hundred thousand in this example might be yeah say hey why don't we pay you five hundred thousand in yep. three years time or whatever the amount uh, is, is so that's 25 percent return 
So I, I just want to unpack a little bit about um, what what you just say, what you just said there, because the the win win here is that you know if they didn't do the deal, the parents would have just got their four hundred k revolving credit doing nothing. But if they put in this deal yeah. while the interest is paid for from the cash flow, interest paid for from the cash flow, they may or may not negotiate a profit share, which is a chance to get a little bit of a top up. So percent share, there's success uh, from that. But otherwise, they might just be really happy to help their kids out. Yeah, I think I think um, definitely you know the the people who are getting the handouts, we're not looking to help those people today. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking the same. <laughs> but um. Yeah, and so for the kids in this situation is that actually they have created a win-win scenario because they only borrow 60% on a 10% on gross yield. They could easily raise another deal similar like that if they've got other friends and family to to give them a similar oh, deal. Absolutely, structure. it'll serve us up well with a, with a huge yield like that. Yeah. And to, hey, cash flow is so important, always more important to have uh, more cash flow in the back pocket at the end of the month than you had at the start. Yeah, and so I guess one of the things that I wanted to touch on um, today as well is because in a in a deal you know against oversimplifying it you know there are three major component three Ds I, I talked about this with you earlier David and we we talked about how we could structure a development deal but to simplify the three Ds is the deal itself the debt and the deposit the thing is to invest in properties you don't have to have all three right would you agree uh, yes, I do uh, well, agree. I mean, However, there you don't are, have to have all three. You don't have yourself. to have all three yourself. It's just uh, yes, absolutely. The uh, that, that's that's an important modification to do it, only because in, in, uh, it's now quite rare to have a hundred percent front. So therefore, there is a deposit uh, needed uh, in, in that. But uh, in some times gone by, we in the lead up to the global financial crisis, there were some 100% loans available, meaning that no deposit was needed. But in property, of course, you need a deal uh, always, otherwise nothing to actually uh, buy as well. And uh, some of the deals that uh, come through are still some of the vendors are in a bit of a time warp, not uh, caught on to the realities of the uh, of the market there. And, and goodness, the market is quite uh, different in different places, areas, locations and property types and some of the tax rules in terms of new versus old are, uh, are indeed having an impact on some of the buyer behaviour, which does result in some really differential pricing. So mm. need to get a bit of advice and, and be with some really good trusted professionals as well to make yep. sure that you get some help in this market there and, and apply some property intelligence. Yeah, definitely. So, so in that situation, you know, you got like the one that we just talked about previously. Basically, the younger couple they have the deal and they have the debt servicing. They just didn't have the deposit. Yeah. Have you done a deal where you outsourced the debt servicing and the deposit, and you just got the deal? Yes, yes, I have. Yeah. I've done. Tell us a little bit about I've that. And then in the in the guise of doing them is property development deals, though, where I'm going out and uh, getting, uh, say, a, a property on some large hunk of land, and then I'm needing to uh, go here because I've got my own deals on the go. Everyone's got uh, limited uh, borrowing capacity there as well. Just some people's have a bit bigger than mine, like Elon Musk, for example, there as well. So, but uh, it, it, everybody has their limits and what you can and uh, and can't do. And uh, yeah, I had mine get close to it. Otherwise, I'm uh, conservative with my uh, chartered accountant wife, and we decide no, I can't really tackle too much debt. So, 
we are skilled at what we do. Uh, I've done over 500 dwellings, never lost money in any of them. Auckland's a great city, 1.7 million people. It's growing. We need housing, and, and I do like producing housing for people, so I need to get some money. So I need to get a, a joint venture partner, and that joint venture partner has got something that I don't have. I've got the deal. I've got the experience uh, to as a uh, development manager. I've got a number of resource consents, building consents, manage the divestment phase to uh, get new uh, new buildings uh, done and whether sold or kept and can get uh, tender out construction projects and run uh, run a construction program absolutely but i don't i'm not able to fund fund it so i need to outsource that so then i'd come up with a model which might be a joint venture agreement in a company or a limited partnership agreement for that and then i'm able to go out and get some really great returns that my investors won't be able to get because they don't know how to assemble a professional team, who to use, how much they cost, and to get a resource consent, that's all a bit scary, to get the building consents and to uh, get the divestment phase uh, sorted out, whether their uh, properties are kept or sold in the market, and then to run that construction tender. So they've leveraged my skill set, they've leveraged my time and expertise, and I've leveraged into their capital and borrowing uh, capacity for it. So those joint ventures have, have worked um, quite uh, well. I've done a, a number of them, never lost value of them. They've been good projects and they've um, uh, that they've been actually quite fun to uh, to do. The uh, speed of the resource consent is something there that's um, a little bit variable, which is frustrating. But um, yeah, often these projects uh, take um, between 18 and 30 months to do it. So say say a couple of years and, that, and those, those projects are actually really good and they're quite popular and getting some really good returns. Remind me how many consent you have managed this lifetime. Building consents well over 500. Our project managed uh, going back with um, even started doing a few things like minor dwellings and you know three bedroom how uh, uh, just like two lot suburbs. So around about 100 resource consents that, that I've got as a project manager for other people. Since Next time I need to put that in front of the podcast, you know, just, just build up the... Yeah, the, oh, it'll be fun to they, do they, that and <laughs> some, share some numbers for uh, some of the uh, listeners. Yeah, yeah. We're, gonna do, we're gonna do a development one next time. But in essence, what you're just sharing is a lot of the time when people are thinking, you know, hey, I don't have the deposit or, you know, I, I can't serve a small loan because, you know, like they, they, they sort of get stuck in that, mindset of like oh, i can't do anything but but what you're what you have just uh explained in essence is if you if you look at the three d's in a deal the the debt and um, the debt and also the deposit could be raised if you had the deal which is knowledge right the the deal comes from the knowledge of not only do you know how to find a deal but you also know how to add improvement create new value and i think that is something that the um, maybe newer investors sort of get stuck on and 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 they they do and, and can get a little bit uh, scared about this as well whereas um, it, there's uh, unfortunately there's no prizes for doing nothing then you're just stagnating you actually do have to take action in life and there are rewards for doing that and just because something's hard to do oh it's hard to get the right deal uh, it might be that it's an investment property that you're looking for and and you're after the holy grail positive cash flow or, it, it, or maybe it's you're after something there that you can 
uh, by the time you've done it, you've got $100,000 addition to your net worth, which you've never had anything like that before. But never, never, never give in. The most successful people are not quitters. They keep fighting. They never give in. And if you've got that passion and that burning desire, that'll help drive and propel you forward. And that's a really, really critical thing. One thing I also want to add, though, like they and expand on that, I think that's the right character and trait. And also one important thing that I see is that they just never stop learning. Crucial to, to learn as well. Nobody knows it all. I certainly don't. So make sure that you read widely, have, have a good network, talk to others there. That way you keep your knowledge constant, you benchmark your opinions, you stay grounded, quite frankly, from doing taking into account different perspectives as well. They have to be from the right people there as well because there are some people there that know you can't do that and the committees of no and unfortunately sometimes family your greatest critics and uh, tell you that you can't get investment properties there. I got told, for example, that uh, in my uh, early in the 20s I was too young to own properties and having three rental properties that I did then it's just no, you can't do that. No, 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 that's bad. And then you're a slumlord and you get labels like, like that, which is all just really stupid, sloppy stuff designed to put you down. But um, when you're on a um, on a plan to do it and take action, it's fine. And then sometimes it might well be that you have to talk to people older, wiser than you and your friend set to actually uh, help you to, to, to do that. Because it may well be that uh, by the time you're, you're 30, you might well have wealth uh, more likely to, uh, that of a 65-year-old. And, and, and that's... And, and that's okay, but the catch is, uh, yeah, don't don't lose sight of the uh, fact that you don't know it all, and that you can get a lot of information there from having a good uh, network of people there and talking to them. And I think that's a really really important thing. And one of the things is how do we make sure that we get the uh, get moving, move our life forward, whether it's getting our own home or getting our own property there. Sometimes we don't have all of those elements in terms of those three Ds. Do we, uh, um, the chance, you've got to have the deal, of course, because otherwise no property there to do it. But um, <laughs> having all the deposit, having all the debt sorted out there, maybe you need a little bit of help. And increasingly, it's more common to do that. So that's where I need to have a chat to you and the team to make sure that they're doing the numbers right, figure out some ways to do it and have that chat. But instead of just asking for the handout, asking for the, the, the gift there, ask for a loan. It's much, much nicer to ask for a loan there and you may well be offered the gift as well. And don't be upset, be humble. If, if, if it's a, no, I'm not really wanting to do that or need to get legal advice, that's okay. If you were to give just one advice on someone who's feeling like, oh, not sure if I should ask for a deposit somewhere, they, they know how to run deals. You know, they, they've done a couple, they've done a lot of research and they see the numbers that works, um, but they don't really quite have what's needed, like the deposit. Yeah. How could they approach it? What's one thing they can do right now? It's a great question, but I think it is to be humble and ask it for, as a loan. I think it's so much nicer to ask a family member or a really, really close friend that's like a family member, I guess, that you know has got the value there, to ask them for, for uh, a loan, ask them for a bit of help, talk to them about this deal, talk to them a bit about some of your goals and aspirations, open up to them and talk about the, talk about how it could work. And if that doesn't work out, they, they may uh, uh, will, will say, hey, yeah, no problem, we'll just give it to you as a gift. Amazing. But otherwise, take, do it as a loan. Sometimes if it doesn't work, then do it as a commercial arrangement, as a joint venture, so then they can get some return from it whether it's as a profit share or an enhanced, um, uh, I guess, interest rate from that, so they can make some money on their money, great. There's got to be a way of doing it because otherwise you're going to miss out to, to do it. And 
and sometimes I think it's just really important to do it. So I think that one piece of advice is be humble and ask them really nicely, open up to them and ask for a loan. You never know what happens there. If you're just a little bit short there, I think it's a really good uh, way to do it. Definitely. I really appreciate that, David. And I do definitely agree. I think sometimes we miss the mark by just thinking about ourselves. First of all, like, I mean, some, some, sometimes we're just thinking like, oh, what's, what's in it for me? What's the benefit? Like, you know, I'm just asking for the money for my own benefit. But if we can think in the other person's perspective, uh, well, first of all, like, because you're sort of playing, hey, family wants to help. You know, they're understanding that they want to help. And secondly, if, if it's not just about helping, actually, you could help them by giving them an adequate return. Too right, and some sometimes it, uh, trust structures are great for this, and some of the best trusted ones are actually intergenerational, and they have strategies just like that to actually do it and to help out. And in many cases, the parents want to help out the kid if they just set some rules around it there, and hope that in turn you'll also look after their grandkids uh, too as well. That that they hope to have, hopefully, with not too many snow marks about uh, yeah. So when's my grandkid coming along or anything like that? But um, I, uh, I think that uh, it can be arranged really, really nicely to do it. And wish more friends would actually get together, be comfortable in talking about money because it is an important subject to have. It shouldn't be this taboo topic it should be something that we're open about and working together with our goals and aspirations and quite frankly in many cases you'll see this a lot with the people but together uh, people can be stronger by putting the missing elements in. and for so many younger uh, people there they're often short of a bit of money for that for that deposit too so that might be the way to do it definitely really really appreciate your wisdom sharing today and thanks for jumping on with me today david thanks Blandon. hopefully we are uh, in a couple more episodes later we've got some uh, more in-depth questions about development that you can really, really shine your My favorite uh, topic. Can't, yeah, can't <laughs> wait for that. Thank you. You guys have a great day. And don't forget, if you guys want to learn more about properties and financing, you can check out the Mortgage HQ YouTube channel. Talk soon.